The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. There is so much talk out there about transformation, transforming, transforming yourself in particular. How does that Work. How does how does a person transform themselves? Particularly, how does a dualistic mindset transform consciousness? Can we transform ourselves, or is that something that comes about as a result of knowing who we really are? Can we quote unquote self improve, or is it just possible that the concept of self improvement is one that means we're just trying to push the river? What self are we trying to improve? The identity or the authentic self? These are the things we'll be talking about on, on today's show. So if you're trying to transform your life or you feel that your life is being transformed from the outside in or from the inside out, don't miss the show. We're going to be talking about you. So transformation, you know, the big movie hype about Transformers. My son used to play with the Transformers all the time. That was many years ago. But uh, uh, they were these little figures who would tra- that would transform from trucks into people or from, you know, um, big uh, machines into people. And, and they'd be able to fight these wars. Well, that's one, <laughs> one kind of Transformers. There's uh, definitely a movie out there that's a big big movie this past year about Transformers. Uh, and so we understand that the concept means change. We understand that when when something transforms, it, tra- it becomes something other than what it was previous to that. What we don't necessarily understand is that the essence is still the same. Uh, if, you know, in the movie The Transformers, there was uh, a, a truck that could turn to a person and the person could turn back into a truck. Well, the essence of that wholeness the truck person is still the same um, but we don't really pay much attention to that particularly when we're talking about the concept of self-improvement we you know you see it in bookshelves you go into books a million or, or uh, Barnes and Noble or any of the big huge bookstores around the world and you see they'll they'll have a title uh, for the bookshelves called self-improvement and that's where you go to read the millions of book out, books out there on self-improvement. How to improve yourself. Well, so that's why we need to talk about it. Can we really improve the self? And would we really want to improve the self? These are the things we're talking about today. So first we have to know what that self is that we want to improve. Well, in the New Age New Thought movement, and I don't use those terms uh, synonymously, so I, I need to let you know that. Um, new, new Age is different by 
several degrees than the New Thought movement, which is uh, an outpouring of the human potential movement. Um, the, the New Age movement is um, is much more in ter- radical in terms of its um, approach to what we do and don't do to bring our lives into their fullest measure. Uh, the New Thought movement is... Um, a little less radical and perhaps a little more um, conservative when it comes to what we do to uh, bring our lives into fulfillment. So uh, those are different terms, although they come from the same basic premise, which is that human beings have a much greater potential than we think that they do. So I use those terms with new age slash new thought, but I, I wanted to say there is a degree, several degrees of difference between them, and you can study more about that if you'd like. Um, but in both of those two, there is an idea of uh, transformation that has to do with self-improvement, that has to do with becoming a higher self. Now, if you've been listening to my show for a while, you know that um, the, the concepts of lower self and higher self are concepts that I believe don't really jive in in terms of wholeness. When we talk about splitting ourselves off into lower self that we need to get rid of or an ego that we need to get rid of and a higher self that we need to keep, what we're talking about is splitting ourselves off. And one of the things that gets in the way of wholeness is splitting ourselves off. Carl Jung talked about differentiating in order to integrate. So by differentiation, he didn't mean splitting off. He meant recognizing the differences between things. So uh, there's a difference between a pen and a bottle of water. There's a difference between a watch and a computer. But that doesn't mean that they have to be separate entities. Yeah, certainly I have a timer on my computer, and I can have a watch that's run by a computer. So, uh, you know, there doesn't have to be a distinctive difference between the two in order for them to be differentiated. Um, so when we talk about differentiating various aspects of who we are, what we're recognizing is that perhaps there's some archetypes inside of us, some that we may have even identified with. So when we think about the feminine, for example, we think about um, the feminine being uh, the feminine archetype, which is has to do with um, the internal. Uh, according to my definition, the, the feminine archetype is, is all about the inner world, uh, whereas the, the masculine archetype is all about the outer world, so that when we need both, we don't need to say, oh, the outer world is not good and the inner world is good, or the inner world's not good and the outer world is good. What we need to say is that both of them are necessary to our understanding of who we are. We are a part of a, a um, uh, multiple multiple dynamic uh, when we engage in the world when we wake up in the morning we're automatically in the world of people um, places and things and so we can't separate ourselves from that we might even decide to go on a mountaintop and become an ascetic and we would say to ourselves that we're separate from the world but the world still exists in our minds and therefore, we're not separate from the world. So there's no way to really separate ourselves from these things. And so when we talk about splitting ourselves off uh, to separate ourselves from various aspects of ourselves and calling that self-improvement or transformation, we're only deepening the split, the psychic split between the conscious and the unconscious world. Um, because it comes from the dualistic mindset that says, 
um, there's a part of me that's good and there's a part of me that's bad and I'm going to split off the bad and get rid of it and I'm going to keep the good. And um, that is the very thing that Carl Jung was talking about when he talked about repression because all repression has to do with um, trying to negate or trying to make unconscious those things that are uh, that we consider to be unacceptable. And those are usually considered by us bad, either bad morally or bad in some way that doesn't work for us, but bad. And so the unacceptable is what we toss into the trash can of the unconscious, hoping that it goes away. But it doesn't really go away. It just goes into the unconscious. And then it comes back up later when we are least expecting it and when we're upset about something else. And then it comes out and it's not very pretty. So we don't get rid of these things. I want to be really, really clear. There's not a part of us that we will ever get rid of. But we can differentiate it and we can integrate it. We can set it aside and go, let me look at you. Let me really see you for what you are fully and own you as a part of my behavior, a part of the way I think and feel and act. And then I can integrate you into the wholeness of who I am. Uh, rather than saying, oh, you're bad, I need to get rid of you. So anything that has to do with self-improvement that tells us that we need to negate some part of ourselves is not ever going to work. This, I think, is one of the reasons why diet plans often don't work, because they negate or they attempt to repress those parts of us that want to eat for some reason. We want to eat for some reason. We don't just want to eat. (laughs) It's not just biological, although appetite definitely figures into the equation. We want to eat because we're eating our emotions. We want to eat because our fathers or our mothers told us we were fat and we want to just give them a big old slap in the face by eating anyway. Uh, We, you know, there's all kinds of reasons why we want to eat and all kinds of reasons why we want to overeat. And so if we say to ourselves, well, I'm just going to stop overeating. There's another part of us that's now been pushed back into the unconscious that's going to want to rise up and sabotage that plan. Well, when we talk about a lot of the teaching that goes on today in the New Age world, what we hear is that we're supposed to, um, you know, just keep throwing that part of us out. Uh, Marianne Williamson's written a much better version of that reality when it comes to um, weight loss in particular, um, She's written a book called A Course in Miracles. I interviewed her about that uh, book back a couple years back. You can find the interview on the archives for this program. Um, and I encourage you to buy the book because what she's talking about in there is not about repression. It's about really calling that stuff up and getting acquainted with it so that you can then integrate it. Um, and that's what it's really going to take for us to really change something inside of our change at least change our behavior in a way that's really effective. Uh, you know, I'm not, I am a psychotherapist, and I'm sure that there are behavioralists out there um, who might say that what I'm about to say is false. So if you're a behaviorist, then you might side with them and, and disagree with me, and that's perfectly fine. You're entitled to that. So I want to be clear that what I'm about to say falls along a certain line of understanding with regard to therapy. I believe that, um, No change is really effective for the long haul unless it is change that has to do with really owning all the various aspects of ourselves and bringing bringing them all into integration for wholeness. 
Whereas if I just say to myself, I'm not going to drink anymore, I'm not going to cuss anymore, I'm not going to smoke anymore, or whatever, whatever, or I'm not going to overeat anymore, um, and I just try to change the behavior, um, I may be even able to maintain that behavior for the rest of my life. But I haven't really changed, transformed. I haven't really had a real life change. So... I might white-knuckle it through something and get to the other side and not do it anymore. Uh, but I'll always somewhere crave it, probably. And I'll always um, want to, uh, always some part of me might be wanting to go back to it, even if I don't. So, um, and so this is why we people hypnotize people for the purposes of helping them change their habits. This is why people come to therapy to figure out why they do what they do and to understand more about themselves so that they might be able to transform and do things differently. So what we need to understand is that the doing goes along with the thinking, the feeling, the sensating, the, the sensual part of ourselves, the biological part of ourselves, our DNA, our, uh, our identity, our, and our authenticity. All of those things are working together all the time. And sometimes they work in enmity to each other because, that because we've split off from them. So if I put something in the unconscious, it's going to be the enemy of any plan I have to do something different than that thing that I've just thrown into the unconscious. And I'm at war with myself without even knowing that I'm at war with myself. So I start a diet and it fails because there's somebody inside of me that wants to eat and is going to eat regardless of what I tell it it's going to do. So real change doesn't come from just changing behavior. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous has a uh, has a, a, a kind of philosophy about what they call the dry drunk. It's somebody who's just stopped drinking but hasn't transformed. It's somebody who hasn't worked the 12-step programs and really worked on surrendering to a higher power or um, doing a fearless moral inventory and trying to come to terms with their past and making amends to other people and then giving something back to the community. That's a very short version of the 12 steps. But, um, the, uh, you know, they talk about people who don't go through those 12 steps but just don't ever drink again. And they call them a dry drunk because they're not really transformed. They're just not drinking anymore. The behaviors are exactly the same as they were, you know, prior to drinking or during drinking. And um, so uh, that whole idea of transformation is about, has to do with um, making a real psychic shift. It ha- doesn't have to do with just behavior change. So that has to be clear from the get-go. There's lots of... Um, Books out there that will tell you to get a rubber band. Anytime you do uh, want to think about something or worry about something, get yourself a rubber band and put it around your wrist and pop yourself with that rubber band every time you think about that. And that will be your punishment and it will remind you that you're not supposed to be thinking about that. Well, all that does is repress that thought. Um, it tells us not to, not to think that thought. And, you know, that might help our mood because we're not getting ourselves into a frenzy because we're not worried but that thought will arise again uh, because – or something like it will arise again because we haven't really dealt with the issue that causes us to worry in the first place. Um, so worry is not just about one thing. It's, it's, a, it's a way of being. Worry is a way of being that says that I can sort of 
tell myself, I can bargain with reality by telling myself that I can, um, I have some control over this as long as I'm worrying about it. So if Aunt May is in the hospital and she's got some really bad disease and I want Aunt May to get all better, but I'm not sure she will. If I worry, worry, worry about it, I'm doing something. I'm not just doing nothing. I'm doing something. That something will have some kind of impact on this. It's sort, of, it's sort of a magical thinking that sort of bargains with the reality that Aunt May is sick and I don't like it. I don't want her to be sick. And that's, you know, a stage of acceptance. So we get to the place of acceptance and we go, okay, Aunt May, Aunt May is sick and I can offer whatever healing I can offer. But Aunt May's got some say-so about this too. She's going to do it her way. And so that acceptance, the bargain that says I'll worry about Aunt May is a, is a way of sort of tricking ourselves into believing we're doing something when actually we're only just spinning our wheels. Um, so uh, we, we, if we're going to stop worrying, we have to get to the bottom line of what worry is all about for us. And that's a process of discovery. So when we talk about transforming ourselves, we're not talking about popping ourselves with a rubber band. We're not talking about, you know, white knuckling it through some kind of uh, change of habit. We're not talking about, um, of just change of behavior. We're talking about real deep change that, that shifts us to another way of being. Now, how in the world does one get to that? Well, we talked a little bit about some of the thoughts that go behind it. I want to review those just real quickly. Um, we ha- they have to do with wholeness. They have to do with um, getting down under uh, the behavior, the thinking, the feeling, the believing, and finding out what goes behind that to try to work with that and, and to differentiate it enough to be able to see it clearly, to name it clearly, uh, to see all the subtle nuances that go with it and to be able to um, recognize what might be going on within that um, particular paradigm or, or dynamic. So, uh, you know, then once we've done that, then we can begin to integrate it. So we differentiate and then we integrate. That's part of the transformation process. But there's more because there's more to the whole concept of transformation than meets the eye. Because changing the self is not quite the same as changing the identity. We want to we want to understand just a little bit more about that. And we'll be talking about that right after the break. So stay tuned for more in just a few minutes. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Every moment that we live provides us with numerous opportunities to grow more deeply spiritually through our active engagement in positive, concrete ways that can uplift, encourage, and help ourselves and each other. Become a part of Our Sacred Journey with your host, Audrey Katagawa. 
Our program will include guests who will share their experiences with you to inspire you to help create a peaceful, cooperative present and future and to explore your creativity and the valuable contributions which you can make. Our Sacred Journey airs live Mondays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. Listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And welcome back. We're talking today about transformation and what that really means. Uh, but before we go any further, I want to make a couple of announcements to you. Uh, we're going to be having uh, Clarissa Pinkola Estes back on the show. I think this will be the fifth time she's been on our show. And I absolutely adore talking to her. Um, she really offers us depth information about the, uh, the soul, the psyche, and uh, particularly femininity and uh, what that really means to us as a world and as a person. So we're going to be talking to her on December the 5th, and uh, we'll be talking to Don Miguel Ruiz on uh, December the 12th. So back-to-back there, I've got two really big names you're not going to want to miss, so you want to come back for that. And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the Institute of Noetic Sciences, dedicated to expanding science beyond conventional paradigms. Founded by Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell, IONS is a nonprofit research, education, and membership organization whose mission is supporting individual and collective transformation through consciousness research, educational outreach, and engaging in a global learning community in the realization of human potential. You can join that learning community at www.noetic.org. So, we're talking today about transformation, and what we said in the first segment basically was that uh, behavior change is not the same as transformation. So, okay, that's a given. Said a lot more than that, but uh, just basically that. The other thing is that transformation does not mean self-improvement. When we talk about self-improvement and all those many books that are making bucks out there for lots of different authors and lots of different... Uh, <clears throat> publishing companies, what we're essentially saying is that there's a better me than the me I am. Okay, okay. Yeah, maybe I'm doing some things that are inappropriate or ineffective or harmful to myself or others. Yeah, okay, I buy that. And maybe I would like to stop doing that, buy that too. I'm in, obviously, uh, the business of working with people to help them transform their lives. What I don't buy is that we can improve on the authentic self. Um, what I think is much more true is that we, as we become the authentic self, all those other things that we think of um, as not effective or inappropriate or harmful to self or others um, drop away because we don't need them anymore. Those behaviors that we do that are ineffective, inappropriate, or harmful to self or others have to do with an identity. 
And the identity that we're wearing, the mask and costume that we're wearing, was put on long ago. Um, and many of you have heard that me say this before, but some of you haven't. <clears throat> Excuse me, so I'm going to go ahead and say this. Uh, we put on a mask and costume in response to our worlds, our environments, not because our environments are terrible, good, you know, bad, whatever, indifferent, but because our environments are a mirror that we can look into. Our environment, when we come here, fresh from the other side, we are, we are just the soul embodied. But we also come attached to some old karma from another life. And what I mean by karma is not that we're going to get punished in this life for something we did in another life or get rewarded in this life for something we did in another life, but rather the ongoing process of recognition, realization of who we are as divine beings. So in one life, I got one little kernel of piece of, of information about who I am as an authentic divine being. And in the next life, I'll get a little more to add to that. In the next life, a little more. In the next life, a little more. In the next life, a little more. Karma is the soul's intention to give us all the information we need to bring ourselves into full awareness of who we actually are as divine beings, as authentic self, which in this show is the same thing. You can look at the authentic self in very psychological terms um, that don't have don't don't use the word divine beings. Um, if you're uncomfortable with that language, that's fine. Um, or you can look at it a little bit deeper and you say, okay, well, it also means that I am the pure essence of I am, which is the divine being part. So um, however you want to look at that, uh, um, we put aside the authentic self in order to adapt to a world that tells us who we are. And it doesn't necessarily tell us who, who we are, either consciously or because it intends to, but it often does intend to, and sometimes it is conscious. So, um, if I, if I, it works like this. If I'm an infant and I'm looking at my fist, my balled up fist at two months of age, and I'm finally going, oh wow, that's mine. Hey, that's pretty cool. I got a hand. And then a couple of months later, I reach out and grab a rattle and I stick it in my mouth. I'm liable to say, this also is me. Now, eventually I've come to terms with the fact that the rattle is not me, but the hand is me. But at first, I'm not, I don't know that. And we spend the first 10 years of our life deciding what is me and what is not me. And in the process, we incorporate a lot of things into me that aren't really me. And it takes us a, a while after that to figure that out. And I'm seeing people come to it younger and younger, but it's true, we eventually have to come to terms with the fact that who we've been, who we acted like, the mask and costume we wore to survive is not who we really are. There's another me in there that's telling me that it's in there by the expression of my feelings. So I'll have a feeling that'll come up, for example, that says that I resent having to always wait on so-and-so because he won't take care of himself, right? Um, I resent that, and I'm tired of doing it, but i got to keep doing it because I feel guilty if I don't. How many of you out there are thinking that way right now? Raise your hands. <laughs> uh, many of us think that way. We, we feel like we have to do something for Uncle Joe or whatever because if we don't do it, it won't get done, and Uncle Joe, Joe needs it done, even though we know that Uncle Joe could do it himself, and he won't. So we do it. 
And we're afraid that if we don't do it, we're going to feel so guilty that we're going to just feel horrible. And we're more afraid of that horrible feeling than we are of anything else. So rather than feel that feeling, we'll go ahead and do the thing we don't want to do. So that that's a trap. And we're being held hostage by a psychological conundrum that we ourselves put on way long ago in order to cope with family members who perhaps obligated us to them in ways that um, that made us feel like or, or that we learned we were supposed to do things for them in order to stay a part of that family. Because we all come here with an idea that Without our family, we will we will die. And we're right. Without our families as infants, we will die. That's literal. And we have an animal instinct for that. And we understand that we are, we are going to uh, uh, die without them. So we do what is necessary to stay alive and stay connected to these people. And if it's necessary for me to take on emotional responsibility for um, all kinds of things my mother, my father, my sisters, my brothers won't handle or don't even know they should handle, or don't even know that belongs to them because they've just projected it onto me, then I've grown up with a personality that says, feel guilty if you don't take care of this. And that's the mask and costume I've worn to survive. But there's another part of me in there, and that part of me is coming up to express itself as resentment. The resentment itself, which a lot of New Age, New Thought people are out there saying, no, don't feel resentment because that's a bad feeling. You need to send that away. That's a negative feeling, and that negative feeling is going to, you know, sabotage you. So you need to send that away. You need to forgive those people immediately and just do do kind things and loving things to them and send that away. But actually, if we send it away, we're not hearing from the authentic self. We're not hearing from the divine self, however you want to put that. Uh, and the the the... What it says to us is, the resentment says to us is, you are doing a lot of stuff you don't really want to do. It's not real. It's fake. You're doing it because you, you think you have to, to, to respond to that big bad voice inside of you that says, I'm going to make you feel guilty if you don't. But what I've seen people do is manage to not do that thing that the resentment has told them not to do and to rather do things that are much more real things that they really do feel compassion about or passion about and they begin to do those things instead of following the voice of the the guilty guilty hostage keeper and they begin to be able to live life more freely in the process they have to walk through that screaming guilty voice that says i'm going to get you now i'm going to get you now and get to the other side of it and see that it was the lie all along and so what has happened then is they have transformed how did they transform they didn't better themselves they became themselves they became more true to the authentic self that they were that is true transformation and it's not about self-improvement it's about becoming who we actually are so when we think in terms of self-improvement we're thinking in the dualistic mindset that says there's a bad way to be and a good way to be um, and the bad way to be is in that particular scenario uh, that I just painted, the bad way to be would be to say no to Uncle Joe. That would be the bad way to be. So I can't say no to Uncle Joe because that makes me a bad person. But the resentment keeps coming up and saying, wait a minute, you're doing a lot of stuff you don't really want to do. What's up with that? Well, we've been taught to ignore our wants in favor of our obligations. And, and because we've been taught that, we believe that in order to be a good person, 
We must continue to ignore our wants in favor of our obligations. And as we keep doing that, we build more and more resentment. And who knows what that's, that's doing to us physically, mentally, and what it might even be doing to our behavior when one day the resentment comes out in a big bang and explodes all over everybody. You know, So it can be pretty ugly when that stuff starts flooding out. And eventually it will. Either, it'll either go into the body and make us sick, it'll go in the spirit and make us depressed, or it'll come out in some kind of ugly behavior. So pushing that away and pretending it's not there is just another way of splitting ourselves off. And in that process, what happens is we don't self-improve. We just shove stuff around in there and tell ourselves that we're going to be better now. Uh, You know, we talk about New Year's resolutions. Every year people make New Year's resolutions and by March they're over. It's done. We haven't done them and we're feeling bad about ourselves. And by April we've forgotten all about it. Um, the reason for that is because we're making resolutions to Im- to self-improve, to change our behavior without even looking at what goes behind the behavior. What goes behind behavior that says I must serve Uncle Joe no matter how I feel, no matter what I want, is a belief that if I don't do this, I'm a bad person. And if I'm a bad person, there's a deep-seated fear in there that says, uh-oh, now the world's going to abandon me and I'll be all alone and maybe I'll die of it. So that started way long time ago. And if we can get in touch with that stuff, now we're talking about having a real conversation with something real and something that, that is impacting us. Uh, something we've incorporated into our, who we are that makes us respond to the world very differently. So when we talk about um, uh, becoming more real, we're not talking about the idea that we're not real in the first place. We're talking about the idea that there is an authentic self in there all the time. All the time. It's always there. But we've ignored it. We've pushed it aside. We've locked it in its closet. We've told it to go to its room. We've done all kinds of things to make sure that we don't live from the authentic self, but rather live from an identity that pleases our world and makes us feel like, okay, now the world won't leave me and I won't die. And that identity could be anything. It could be a victim identity. It could be a bully identity. It could be uh, uh, the what I've just described as what I call as a scapegoat identity. It could be a party dude or a Peter Pan kind of identity. It could be a runaway identity where every time something goes wrong, I just split. Um, it could be all kinds of things. So um, when we t- uh, the care their caretaker identity goes really well with the scapegoat identity, they sort of go hand in hand. Superwoman, Superman identity, rescuer, those are a couple of the others that we can get into, and they almost become caricature like, so that our family members know that you know, well, you know, you know her. She's going to do it because she'll feel guilty if she doesn't. You know, I'll call her. I'll call, you know, I'm Uncle Joe, and I'll think, now, who in the family can I get to do? Oh, I'll call Mary, because I know Mary's going to feel guilty if she doesn't, so she'll do it. Now, that might not even be a conscious thought, but it is enough information for me to know that uh, I can use Mary. And that is the right term. I can use Mary. Mary is usable. Why? Because Mary's got a complex. What's a complex? It's a tight little wad of psychic material that's all tied up in knots inside of our psyche. And and, it, and it's hard to unwind it because there's all kinds of countering and encountering messages that are all glued up in there together. And belief systems about who we are and all that, that that is all tied up in there together. And it is in kind of winding out that complex that we come to know, oh, well, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Oh, I see. 
So Mary's got a complex, and Joe, on some level, knows it. Uh, and in the same way that uh, we all know what's going on now in the New Age New Thought movement, it's not really hard for us to imagine that we are sending out information about ourselves all the time. But I've yet to tell anybody this story that hasn't uh, come back around and said, wow, we, we really are doing it. Several psychologists, psychologists went into jails all around the country. And they took with them tape recorders, and they tape rec- and uh, not tape recorders, sorry, video players, and the video player, the they showed a video to um, inmates who were muggers, and they asked, and the video was of of people walking, just people walking. That's all it was, and they asked these people, which one of these people that are walking by would you mug? And pretty good, solid number of them chose people with what's called an arrhythmic walk. An arrhythmic, arrhythmic walk is a walk with no rhythm. It's a walk that walks one way and then another and another and another and it's not really, doesn't have a real rhythm to it. Most people walk in a rhythm. They may not know it, but they do. But these people don't. And the muggers picked those people to mug. Now, now, first thing we need to know is that these were not totally successful muggers because obviously they were in jail. But, but the other thing is that um, they knew they didn't say, oh, well, that's an arrhythmic walk. I'm, I know now that I'm going to get those people. They just intuitively knew that these were the people that could get got. Now, what we also know about people that have an arrhythmic walk is that they're very often identified as victim. A victim identity is, is, is I'm always fighting City Hall. City Hall is always going to win. It's always bigger and badder than me. I'll never win. I'll always lose. Uh, people can hurt me, people can harm me, they can just get in, I, I can't keep them out, that kind of thinking. So victim identity is definitely somebody that could get got. And it was demonstrated through the arrhythmic walk that, you know, scientists could see the arrhythmic walk. What the muggers saw was, oh, intuitively I know that this person can get got. So what that says more than anything else, it says that we're sending out information about how we see ourselves. And how we see ourselves is not necessarily how we really are, but it is how we see ourselves. And that's going to be how we walk and how we talk and how we interact with the world. And that information is getting out there. So I have people ask me all the time, how is it that I keep getting attracted to an alcoholic? I met him. I had no idea he was an alcoholic. How in the world does my psyche keep knowing that I'm I'm falling in love with an alcoholic? Well... There's information being sent out by that person that matches something in the psyche that tells the psyche, yeah, this is the one. When we fall in love with someone, it's an unconscious act. So whatever's in the unconscious with that is going to come out when we open the door by falling in love. So, uh, you know, there's lots more information about that whole idea that we, that we, we can pick up information about people. So it's not just ESP. It's not just, I can read your thoughts. It's not just psychic energy. It's not even just intuitive energy. It's, it's not just from the receiver. It's also from the sender. That's what we need to understand. When we talk about uh, you know, being psychic or using ESP or connecting to others in a psychic way or using our intuition, we're only talking about our end of that. What we're not talking about is what that person is sending out, and that needs to be talked about. And we are going to talk about it some more right after the break. So stay tuned for more. We'll be right back. 
This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Do you ever ask yourself, Why am I here? What is my purpose in life? What do I do next? Life energies are based on the chakras, and this is the foundation of holistic healing. Find the balance in your life by tuning in to Healing Possibilities with your host, Tracy Makarenko. Through engaging guests and Tracy's spiritual guidance, each week we'll explore a different modality of healing designed to help you find peace and wholeness. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. How can changing the patterns of energy help in your healing process? Listen every week for Intent Healing, Change Your Energy, Transform Your Life with your host, Dr. Raji. Just by tuning in, you could be empowered to heal yourself and live the best life possible. Just by accessing and changing energy patterns through Intent Healing, you'll feel more relief, less pain, and a renewed sense of being. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Anyone can do this. Why not you? Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back. We're talking today about transformation and what that really means, what, uh, whether or not it means that we should improve ourselves or whether we can talk about transformation at a deeper level. And what we said in the last, just before the break was that we were going to talk a little bit more about how it is that we, uh, that we can actually, um, be something other than what we are. So, so when we, when we're talking about identity, what we do is we live into it. So let's talk about the bad guy identity for a minute. Uh, if I grow up in a home where I'm ignored uh, when I when I am interacting any other way except through what people might call badness, or if I grow up in a home where I'm severely abused or my rebellion to someone else has to involve hatred, or I get abandoned in an early age and I can't understand why, some of those are the motifs that might come behind somebody who identifies as the bad guy. I'm the bad guy because I don't recognize uh, myself as anything other than that. And if I do recognize myself as anything other than that, then I begin to feel afraid. 
In the same way that the person I was talking about a little while ago who feels guilty when she doesn't serve Uncle Joe uh, feels like she must be a good person in order to not be abandoned, the bad guy feels like he must be a bad person in order to not to, to feel alive, to feel as if he exists. Um, his existence has only, he's only been visible to the world, uh, his world, when he's done something bad. Um, that's been more recognized than anything else. And so he needs to grow that. He needs to feel that, or she needs to grow that, uh, to, to, to bring it to a place where, where it is the truth of what he sees about himself, where his, his actions match that feeling of badness he has inside of himself. And so what, what this person needs to be able to do is to, to recognize um, that bad and good are not concepts that can actually be anything unless we make something of them. So, so okay, I've, you know, I used to go into prisons and, and do some assessments, and sometimes the people would say to me, um, you know, you need to get away from me, Ms. Matthews, because I'm a bad dude. I'm a bad guy. Uh, and I also learned that they would sneak to do good things in the same way that we might sneak, to, uh, a person who sees themselves as good might sneak to do a bad thing, you know. Uh, so what they're saying is that part of me that does kind things is invisible to me. I don't want to see that part. I'm identified as a bad guy. And sometimes that makes them really sad. But sometimes it toughens them even more, and that just depends on the individual and where they've come from and what they're stocking into that into that identity. Um, so that whole idea of bad and good gets mixed into the bag, and particularly, you know, we're all raised in family systems that teach us what bad is and what good is. And not so very long ago, people were saying, Johnny, you're being a bad boy, instead of, Johnny, you did something bad. So we got taught to say, now, Johnny, that's a bad thing, instead of, Johnny, you're being a bad boy. But, you know, really, if Johnny does a lot of bad things, Johnny's going to start feeling like a bad boy. <laughs> but if Johnny learns that what he's doing is not working, it's not effective, it's harmful to himself or others, it, uh, it's inappropriate for the setting, etc., then Johnny's not incorporating good or bad. He's incorporating, oh, this doesn't work. Maybe I shouldn't do this anymore. And that's one of the first concepts we really have to get before transformation can even come into the room, is that what we're doing currently is not working. And that's part of my job as a therapist is is when a, when a person comes in the room and says, I've got this problem, this problem, now I'm still sad, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, and I really don't know why, is that we begin to really look at What's going on? What's going on behind the scenes? What's going on in their behavior? And then what is also going on behind the scenes? Lots of times people want to say, well, it's because my husband, my wife, my, you know, I was hurt as a child. I, you know, all kinds of things are all the excuses for why we do what we do. Well, they made me say that. They made me so mad. They made me feel so bad, etc., etc. But actually what we've done is put on a mask and costume to survive. And we chose that. Now, that doesn't mean that other people didn't hurt us. It doesn't mean that we don't have some resentment about other people, um, what they might have done to us. But it does mean that telling ourselves, here's what we do when we, we, we decide we're going to improve ourselves. We say, oh, well, those people really hurt me, but I've got to forgive them, so I'm just going to forgive them. We just say, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to forgive them now. 
I'm done with that. I'm forgiving them. But we're not really forgiving them. We're just telling ourselves we're forgiving them. Forgiveness is a process. Forgiveness starts with uh, 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 recognizing the pain. It starts with realizing where we were when we when we were hurt. It starts with having compassion for ourselves, not self-pity. Compassion, there's a difference. Self-pity says, those people harmed me and therefore I now have an excuse for all the other things I do in my life. That's what self-pity says. Self-compassion says, I love that person that, I, that was hurt. I'm sorry that person was hurt. And I can take that person in my arms and hold them and, and receive that pain and, and look for the gift in it. That's what compassion for the self does. So when we, when we do that, we're a lot closer to, to, um, to something more akin to transformation. Okay, so, so when we're, when we're talking about the whole process of becoming the self, what we don't mean is that we're going to, um, actually become someone different than that old person we used to be. We're, we're going to be uh, a different essence of who we are. We're going to become more like our most admired person instead of being like we are. That's not what it means. It means that we become more of who we actually are at our essence. And our essence is not made up of good or bad. Our essence is not made up of good or bad. Those are concepts we decided on based on what would work in the world. If something didn't seem to be working, we said it was bad. If something seemed to be working, we said it was good. And uh, we sacrificed to the gods in the ancient days to make sure that they would take care of us, wouldn't let the quote-unquote bad things happen to us, and, and would only let the quote-unquote good things happen to us. There's a passage in uh, Galatians, I mean, yeah, in the Bible in Galatians, that talks about... Um, uh, that what a man reaps, that's what he's also sowed. And we quote that a lot. And we, we put that into our concepts of karma that, you know, we're going to reap what we sow. And I hear people say, well, what goes around comes around. And what they really mean is they're going to get theirs. You know, that person was a whatever, whatever, and they're going to get theirs. But actually, that's not at all how it works. We see it every day how it works. People that do uh, steal from people, murder people, kidnap people, sometimes they get away with it. Sometimes they get caught. Who gets away with it and who gets caught? I don't know. Is that random? I don't really think so, but it sure looks random. Uh, so when we, when we talk about uh, uh, you know, the real world, we don't reap what we sow. We often sow without reaping. We often reap without sowing. That's not really true. And it, the fact is that Paul is the one who said that, not Jesus. What Jesus said was that it rains on the good and bad alike. And he also said that sometimes the reapers reap what they did not sow. That's what Jesus said. Now, you know, whether you believe Jesus existed or whether you believe that he actually spoke those words, he didn't speak those words because he didn't speak English. But, uh, you know... Whatever you believe about that, he's one, in my view, of the master teachers. Just one. He's not the only one. He's just one of the master teachers who taught us a great deal about what we can expect from life. And um, 
and he taught us a, a great deal about who we actually are as divine beings. And he's not the only one. The Bhagavad Gita does. Uh, the uh, Krishna from the Bhagavad Gita does. Uh, the the Buddha does. Uh, there's a lot of Sufi writings that tell us more about who we are. So there's and a lot of the Gnostic writings tell us more about who we are. There's a lot that's written in sacred texts that's not about that. It doesn't have anything to do with good or bad. But that's not how we've been taught. What we've been taught is that there's good and bad, and that we should live from that. And as long as we're thinking in those terms, we're going to divide ourselves up to, into those terms. Our, our categories are going to be um, all about good and bad. And um, those categories keep us from seeing what's really going on. So I guess what I'm saying here is that um, where wholeness comes into the picture... We can't be dividing ourselves up into categories. If we want wholeness, we cannot be dividing ourselves up into categories um, and, and, and saying this is bad and this is good. Now, ineffective, this is not working. Yes, we do need to know about those things. And like I said, when somebody comes into therapy, one of the first things we have to know before we can even imagine life change is that what we're doing right now does not work. That is one of the hardest things that for us to really take responsibility for is, oh, I see what I'm doing now doesn't work. I've been trying for four years now to get my husband to stop drinking, we might say. And because I've been trying to do that and he hasn't done it, what I need to do is come to therapy and figure out what I can say differently so this time he'll get it. <laughs> okay. Or I need to go talk to a, a teacher who will tell me what I can say to him so that this time he'll get it. No, 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 no. What you're doing is not working. It's not working because it's not real. Okay? You can't get somebody else to see something. They either see it or they don't. And four years worth of persuading might, might be enough to tell us that, yeah, what we're doing is not working. But very often we spend many years doing the same old thing over and over looking for different results. And in the process, we don't realize that what we're doing is not working. But not only do we have to realize that what we're doing is not working, we have to take responsibility for it. So we have to say, okay, this is me. This is on me. I'm responsible for the fact that I've been repeating the same actions over and over again looking for different results. That's my responsibility. Now, it's not my blame. I don't have to feel guilty about it. I don't have to beat myself up for it. But I am responsible. And because I'm responsible, I'm the only one I can turn to to say, okay, now, let's figure out what we can do differently. Now, I can go to a seek professional help for that. I can seek help from supportive friends and family. But, but ultimately, it's going to come down to what to whether or not I'm willing to go inside of myself and differentiate. Look at that thing that pushes me to keep doing the same old thing, looking for different results. Really look at it and own it. And then I can integrate it and bring it into my whole self and and be able to, by integration, it doesn't mean I'm going to keep doing it. It means that I'm going to know all that went behind it and integrate that. Because the behavior is just the surface. It's the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of stuff under there that's not about just the behavior. When I own that, then I can begin to set myself free. And transformation that allows me to become my truest essence, not divide myself up into different sides of me and push one away and keep the other, but become my truest essence. 
that's real transformation. And everything else that, 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 uh, speaks of itself as transformation, that tells me that I should square off against myself and divide myself into pieces so that I can be a better person, is not true transformation. That's the message of today. True transformation is becoming who we really are. And that's the only thing that's true transformation. Why? Because I've moved, transitioned out of an identity that isn't real and become who I really am. And that's all I can ever be. This other thing that I've been acting like wasn't real anyway, so I wasn't really being that. I was just acting like that. Okay? So that's that's it for today. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about the end of the world, guys. We're going to be talking about, uh, you know, this whole principle of what's going to happen in 2012 at 2021, uh, 12, 21, 12, when we're, the world is supposed to end, supposedly, or, uh, or, or transition or transform. So, uh, you want to be here for that. And don't forget, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.